0: Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Kilroy Williams. This is the Kilroy Williams Show. Got a show for you today uh, that probably a lot of you already know about, and maybe you don't. And it's being exposed in the real true news, and I wanted to share it with you as well. It's child trafficking that is going on in our nation and around the world, and the people that are involved in it. These are big names. Now, we're not going to name any names, but I'm talking like from politicians to Hollywood stars uh, to churches, you name it. And it's a real big issue, and it's about time that it stops. We must stop child trafficking. It's, a, it's an, an issue, and it must end now. So today I'm going to uh, share with you some uh, videos about this issue that I think that will open up your eyes and and let you see what's going on. Here's the first one about child trafficking. Uh, This one is one of the victims and and a survivor, and they will tell you exactly what happened to them and how they survived. Let's watch this.
1: My name is Annika Lucas. I am a mom. I have pets and I'm currently the leader of an organization that brings yoga into prisons. I'm also a survivor of child sex trafficking. I was raised in Belgium and sold into a murderous pedophile network right around my sixth birthday. I was used in this network for five years and a half. Adult men that were part of this exclusive club were there for various reasons, but there was a lot of alcohol, a lot of drugs, and the children were the commodity, the highest, the most valued commodity, and were used for sex mostly but there were a number of aristocrats that were part of this club who also liked killing children. And then my time had come. At the age of 11, I was about to be killed. I was tortured because someone who had protected me for a while and then abused me really badly was done with me. I was strapped to a butcher's block. That was black from the blood of all the children that had come before me. I was there for a few hours. My body is full of scars and every scar reminds me of the moment I thought that I was going to be killed like all the children that weren't loved enough to live. And I was going to be forgotten as well. And I wasn't ready to die. Someone from inside that network loved me enough to rescue me. That torture lasted a few hours. However, I was in that network for five years and a half. In that time, I was raped many, many, many times. I don't have any scars to show how many times I was raped, but I did the math. Uh, Usually it was a whole night in the weekend And so I gathered that I was raped, actually raped, for about six hours a week. 1,716 hours of rape before I reached the age of 12. I grew up with instructions that were given to me by the person who rescued me, that kept me out of prostitution, kept me away from drugs, led me out of the country, Belgium, where I was, where this all happened. As a young adult, though I didn't have any scars, I had been projected upon so much as a sexual object that I attracted men And part of me needed that to live because that was the only way I knew how to feel good. And as a young woman, I was so disrespected and so used. And yet everyone was so ready to put the blame with me for being promiscuous, for being, as was said, cheap, a whore, all these things, all these epithets so quick to denounce me. And then as I was healing, I realized, no, I have to break out of this pattern that I'm in, that I need sexual attention. So let me break away from it. Let me not objectify myself at all. Let me become a liberated woman. And so I worked for decades and decades, feeling into all the pain of what was done to me, all the betrayal of being sold by my parents. Children are the most vulnerable of our population. So we want to create a society where children will be safe, where children will have a community around them Every child deserves safety. No child deserves what I went through and what millions of children each day go through. But unfortunately, the way the system is right now, that is part of the system. As women, we have so much potential to be truly empowered by feeling into everything that we as women endure, that gives us more strength than anyone. All that pain behind all that powerlessness and that humiliation, really feeling into what was done to me, really understanding that it wasn't me, that at the end of the day, I am okay. I was a child. I was being victimized. It wasn't my fault.
2: My name is Jessa, and I'm a survivor of human trafficking. So when I was a little girl, my family was part of a group of people that severely sexually abused me. And that sexual abuse turned into me posing for pornographers and um, doing sex acts for the cameras and being raped in front of the cameras. And then that then turned into me being sold to different pimps and then me being sold to friends and those friends um, doing whatever they wanted to do. It was taking place in suburban neighborhoods. I was also taken into um, a few other countries um, for the sole purpose of being trafficked and being sold. That was just my reality of cities and places. When I was 21, a lady approached me and she gave me a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper was her name and her contact information and she said that I ever wanted to talk to her on the phone if I ever wanted help she would be there so it wasn't for quite a while later that I actually got the courage up to call her and that turned into several months and the message she constantly told me was that this is not who you are people cannot define who you are especially sex cannot define who you are and you are so much more than this. And then she told me that I could make a choice, and she told me I could make the choice to leave. For me, it was a long, long, long struggle of me, in my mind, having to redefine what was happening to me, realizing that this was wrong, realizing this is not normal, realizing that this is not okay. Then it was the courage for me to say, this stops, and this stops now. And I remember kissing some of my siblings goodbye, and just walking away. This woman, she helped me figure out how to get to the airport, and how to get a plane, and I was able to get to her, and she had a safe house for young ladies who have experienced human trafficking, and I was able to enter her program at her safe house. But the sad thing was, was that my visa was only a six month long tourist visa. And so I had to leave, and so I was taken back to Canada and got to Vancouver and got in a safe house there and was there for about three weeks when we received notification that they were closing. And this was in 2010, so it was just before their Winter Olympics was about to start. And the safe house was closing because the Winter Olympics was taking away the finances, so I was one of the people that was hurt through that. A woman approached me and the first thing out of her mouth was, oh, I think you've been abused. I can just see abuse written on your face. She told me that she wanted to be my mom, and she told me that she has a lot of houses of girls like me, and she wanted to take care of me. and. I'm like, oh wow, I have somebody to help me. I have somebody here that I can look to and can trust. When I got to her apartment, though, that's when things changed, and that's when things shifted, and that's when she told me that I was going to have to work for her. Because of my past abuse and because of my past trauma, I was just so vulnerable to people taking advantage of me again. And that then instilled in me the message, what's wrong with me? What, What have I done? I must be just this way, and this is who I am, and so it's okay for people to use me all the time because that's the way I am. And after that second trafficking experience, it was almost impossible for me to trust anyone. But because of people who were dedicated and people who believed in me, people who saw me um, as way more than the things that had happened to me, way more than my story, I'm not the same person. I have completely changed and I'm liking the person that I'm changing into it's pretty cool and it's exciting so after being in the States for um, just a few months they're like there's the people at safest like, there's no way that we can let you go back to Canada let's start to redefine who you are and so because I had no education up until that point as a 21 22 year old I had to go back and um, The lady told me basically that if I can read, I can learn anything. So I took a black Sharpie and I wrote on my arm, if I can read, I can learn anything. I enrolled for college and was able to get a GED and went to school and was accepted. I I never thought that would happen, that a school would accept me. And that was when it birthed inside of me that Someday I'm going to get my doctorate in clinical psychology to work with people who have experienced complex trauma and PTSD to give them the hope and the future that I've been given. That's my dream.
0: Sorry about the microphone being off there the, th- the last time guys, what I was saying was the first video was, uh, uh you know, it, it goes on with in Hollywood around the, the world, um, churches, um, the government, satanic rituals. You heard the lady in the first video saying that she was, um, you know, children were being killed at satanic uh, sacrifices. There, guys. Um, this one here was experience of a, a young lady who was uh, very vulnerable, and um, you know, she was uh, taken advantage of and uh, she was uh, uh, abused. This is this is what's going on in a, in our in our world today, and it's just now being exposed um more i think but i think it needs to be exposed uh even more details than what it than what it has been because you know you hear a little bit about it and people know it and they, but i don't think they know the details and we need to dig down into the details so people know what is going on in our nation in our world with this uh child uh, trafficking um this next one is also a, a, a person who was uh, involved in child trafficking uh, with child pornography.
3: Okay, are you nervous?
4: A little.
2: <laughs> My name is Jessa Dillochris. I'm originally from Canada and I never say A. A. <laughs>
5: <laughs> you
0: did it! So, um, you could... Get into
2: your story now. Cool. So I was born into a family that was not a safe family. It started with sexual abuse, and then it turned into then child pornography, and then that was when the sex trafficking started. I was told that all I was good for was to be a little prostitute. My nickname was Little P. Even as an adult, I also had pornography taken and was being trafficked as an adult. I think one of the hardest things for me to uh, just process is, sorry. Um, So like being in a cage and um, being on sets and having to do things that I can't even believe I did. Um, Having guns pointed at me and people telling me that if I didn't um, keep doing what they told me to do that I would be shot. I was being raped, but I had a smile on my face. I had to act like I enjoyed it. And I can say that Um, Child pornography as well as adult pornography is directly tied to human trafficking. Um, I didn't escape until I was 21, so this continued until basically just before I escaped. I think it was in 2010 I received notification that my pornography was found on the internet and talking to my investigators talking to my officers and detectives um, just finding the listings where they were um, finding that and then finding out that the IP addresses were changing and realizing that even though I am physically free my imaging is still being sold and In many ways, even um, when I let my mind go there, I feel like I'm being raped um, and exploited still because they're still making money off of my pain, my trauma, and my humiliation. I still get scared that some of my um, individuals who have viewed my pornography will recognize me, but as the years have gone on, that's gotten less and less and I feel like I can can walk around with much more confidence and that does not need to define who I am today. So John was a huge part in teaching me what real love was supposed to be and is and it's possible to experience real love. My goal is to help people who have been through horrific stuff and are wanting to take steps into this big world that they are starting to engage with for the first time. Some of the things that I've learned about love is it is kind, it is compassionate, it's caring. It's just pretty amazing like how relationships can hurt you but also how relationships can heal you. Well,
0: that's, that's wonderful that uh, she's slowly healing. Um, if you look at what, what she's saying, the second one with her is a little more detailed, what, what happened to her. And it's just so heartbreaking to hear that this is going on in, in, our, in our world right now. Uh, I think a lot of the, the, the industry is slowly starting to be exposed. And that's, that's what we need um, to let people know that this is going on. And this is going on, like I said, this is a lot of it's Santanica stuff. That's all tied in together. It's all tied in together. Churches, Hollywood, the government, you know, there's politicians involved. They're all under one umbrella. And um, you see it uh, happening in the uh, the Epstein case that's being exposed right now. Uh, A lot of names that will probably be released that will probably shock you, but not shock you. Um, You know, it's it's just unbelievable that this is this is happening in our world and we need to have it exposed and have it stop you know you know and 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 pressure the government to stop this it's kind of hard when they're involved in it um this next one is a uh about a another uh, human traffic uh survivor
6: her worst moments seem unimaginable once sold for sex at five She now hopes to lead the fight against human trafficking in Southern Arizona. Given up at birth, raised in foster care until the night her life took a dark turn.
7: I um, went through the hardest thing in my life.
6: With no voice, no friends and no family.
7: I was kidnapped and so I don't know my biological parents. I lost um, being a child because most of my time it was, Being with um, these people. I never went to school. I never knew I couldn't read or write or anything. So I missed that opportunity.
6: Growing up in Texas is the only pleasant memory of her childhood. The rest, she says, is a blurry nightmare.
7: They started grooming me when I was five years old and at the age between eight and nine, I was sold to a powerful gang for it could be seven days you know, a night depending on who uh, they wanted me for the money.
6: She was forced to have sex for money or face the harsh consequences.
7: They would beat me up. They would use different objects. um, Pretty much um,
6: what they wanted to do. Or locked her up in an isolated room in between four walls where her misery was kept a dark secret.
7: When I was in the closet, I thought I wouldn't make it, and so I would just just pray and and ask you know God to help me because I didn't know if I was going to make it. It
6: was you and God in that dark closet. Yes. For nearly 10 years, she says God was her best friend and gave her the strength to continue the battle.
7: But I I prayed and it it was very very emotional.
6: Every month, sometimes even every week, she would wake up in a different city, sometimes even in a different state, oftentimes making her lose track of where she was
7: being in the closet. I wouldn't even know if it was Monday or it could been Saturday. I pretty much dissociated,
6: but she says God soon gave her the liberty she had been searching for after four failed attempts to escape. She finally found freedom.
7: The hardest thing I survive Um, sometimes. I think that that um, that I'm here now. And when that was happening to me, I didn't think I was going to make it out.
6: Almost a decade later, she still lives in a life in disguise with a new identity from name to everything alienated from social media. A life that brought her to Tucson, her first ever home, where organizations like Kodak have helped her recover and give her life a new purpose. She's now enrolled in school where she hopes to obtain her GED, go to college and eventually become a social worker, where she'll be able to help others who have suffered the same pain she did for 10 years. A profession she says will help her reach one of her many dreams.
7: That they will see me who I am. A survivor.
0: So you see where it happens, guys, it happens with the children. That's why you see all these missing children that we've seen for decades. And um it's great that we're seeing these stories of people turn around and this young lady here um is going on a mission to be a counselor to help others who are gonna be victimized by this. Um <clears throat> there is um it just it just Floors me that this has been acceptable for decades. Thank the Lord it's finally being exposed, but it's not going to end until we fight, until we fight back, and that's what we need to do. First, the exposure, and to end this, end this right now. And at the border right now, that uh, that they've opened up to let all these legals in. Illegals in. You think it's just drugs that's being smuggled in? You think it's just people just being smuggled in? Uh, just a come across the border to leave Mexico for no reason no it's children too children are leaving uh, for sex trafficking uh, they've already uh, found a lot of that already they proved a lot of that um, so it's it's just unbelievable uh, this next uh, video I want to show you uh, is a is another um, sex traffic uh, survivor
8: notice I'm holding cue cards I'm holding cue cards because they're going to help me to focus on my message while at the same time shielding me from painful memories and intrusive thoughts because my story isn't an easy one to tell in fact Every time I tell my story, I'm re-traumatized. But if sharing my story means that one more girl has a chance at freedom, then it's worth it for me. Growing up in my family wasn't easy. Mental health problems and abuse can destabilize a family. But abuse doesn't just exist in a vacuum. It doesn't just start or stop in one individual's life. It permeates every action and activity of their being. Mental health problems and abuse led to neglect, and neglect left me on the streets of Scarborough, a very young girl. I distinctly recall going back to school. Remember each year, the teacher would ask us, write down what you did that summer. I was so ashamed. I was paralyzed. I didn't go to summer camp. No, I didn't go to the cottage. I was the kid that played outside all day long. There was no regular structure. There was no routine for most anything. One summer, I was raped by a stranger. Another, abused and degraded by the neighborhood boys. I was always in fight-or-flight mode. It seemed like danger was lurking around every corner. What I learned that summer was how to remain hypervigilant, how to avoid attack, something that no young girl should ever have to learn. But it didn't stop with the neighborhood boys. I would later be abused at the hands of a multi-generational pedophile. And it was his words that kept me trapped when he said your parents won't love you anymore if you tell on me. In my isolated environment, I believed him. And my behaviors started to reflect the environment that I lived in. I don't remember a time back then when my body ever felt like my own at 17. I started moving from club to club. I first started stripping. Then, later, I worked for a smut magazine, where I would meet some of the most dangerous people I've ever encountered. Still, I was on this never-ending quest to have some form of agency over my own body, a source of power I had never had before. One day, my phone rang. I was looking at my gas gauge, sitting on empty. It was my old coworker from the magazine company. He called me to tell me he was running Toronto's largest massage parlor, and he wanted me to come and join his stable. The word stable didn't even give me pause. Well, on the outside, it looked like a normal business, except it wasn't. This massage parlor had 10 rooms, and they were always busy. There were between 40 to 60 women and girls on rotation in this spa. A massage was between 40 and $50. We'd get a $10 commission if you didn't have a fine. And you could have a fine for just about anything. Being late, talking back, or not having a perfectly primped body. It was expected that the girls could earn considerably more money by doing extras. And by doing extras, I am talking about some of the most unimaginable and degrading acts. Police raids, they occurred in these places. But no police officer, no bylaw official ever offered me help. No one ever said, hey, Is there somewhere else you'd rather be? Or I know somebody you can call, can I connect you to? And this would be my life for the next nearly nine years. Maybe you're listening to my story and you're thinking, how foolish is this girl? But I wasn't foolish. I was vulnerable, I was naive, and I was a perfect target. I didn't have a sense of belonging, I didn't feel wanted or valued for anything other than my body. I had started to deceive myself. This is my choice, I'm making this money. But in hindsight, there wasn't much choice involved at all. This wasn't work, it was trafficking. I was told how to dress, who to have sex with, where to live, everything. I felt scared almost all the time. The man who recruited me, he manipulated me into thinking and believing that he was my protector, my boyfriend. Except he wasn't. He was my trafficker, and I was little more than his property. Over time, he made me a manager, made me. This was not an act of saving me. This was not a promotion. This was him trying to build his status and grow his power. On paper, he ran a licensed body rub parlor. This allowed him to look like a legitimate businessman. This license allows you to rub, knead, or stimulate any muscle in the human body. Officially, These words don't mean that sex is on the menu, but in my experience, and that of thousands of others, suggest differently. Somewhere between the letter of the law, the predatory practices of massage parlor owners and operators, the willingness for police to look the other way, our city has created the licensed brothel system. A massage parlor keeps the schedule, manages all of the advertising and fields all of the calls, freeing up a trafficker to look for another victim. Buyers, they don't have to go to a seedy motel. Massage parlors and holistic centers, the ones on the way to and from your home and work. They provide a facade of acceptability, safety, and option on a woman's part. But even worse, the fact that all of this happens inside of a licensed system means that we're enshrining a man's right to buy a living, breathing human being. That's what we're talking about. This is what sex trafficking looks like in Canada. It is the brothel hidden in plain sight where women are trapped and many enslaved. And here all of us, all of us are deceived into believing that what's happening is a woman's choice. You see, our cities license these parlors and holistic centers and in their point of view, They're not officially granting a license for a brothel, but they're well aware of what's happening behind closed doors. Not all massage centers are like this, no. Legitimate owners, they're not open until 4 a.m. They don't advertise their staff in scantily clad clothing on escort websites. So how are these types of massage parlors, how are they able to thrive? Here in Canada, each municipality has the power and control to grant the licenses for their area. The higher levels of government, they know that these problems exist, yet they take no responsibility by saying that they don't make the decisions the municipalities do. Even one of our more celebrated and successful politicians was found inside a massage parlor with no negative impacts to his career. It's as if we're saying that we're okay with this. But I refuse to believe that. I just simply don't. I was in a meeting with the most high senior officials from municipal licensing. I specifically asked I said, you guys know that this isn't just massage, right? Their response, yeah, we know that these are just fronts for brothels. Everyone knows about this problem, yet no one is taking the lead to solve it. I eventually escaped my circumstances. I literally slept for three days straight. It was my soul that hurt for where there was no hospital. Discovering my faith in a supportive community guided me to seek counseling where my journey to recovery began. Because you see, getting out is one thing, but staying out, that's just as hard. With this understanding, I started Bridge North. I want to be a part of the solution I want to help end sex trafficking in Canada. We offer services to women. They'll contact us for peer mentorship and support, medical care, food assistances, many other services as well. We also provide—sorry—we um, also provide uh, public education, and we advocate to change our laws because this problem is still so hidden in plain sight. There really are more victims out there than you think there are. Some enter this dangerous world like I had. Others, children and youth, they're lured out of foster care, group homes, shelters, or from their own families. The common thread is that traffickers look to exploit the vulnerabilities of their victim. Common thread all the time. Where I was trafficked, there were up to 60 women working. The massage parlor I was at made under just two mil a year. That doesn't include any of the money made in the rooms by the girls, that's what we know as the traffickers cut. It doesn't include any money made by going to after hours parties, or by other things like selling drugs or weapons. Imagine for a second, that's just one. Imagine thousands of these places across Canada. Well, as a survivor, I believe we have to tackle the systemic problems that foster trafficking in the first place. That's why in 2014, I spoke out against sexual exploitation before the Justice and Human Rights Committee. I helped to lobby for the passing of a bill called Protection of Communities and Exploited Persons Act. We advocated for Canada to adopt the leading practices from Sweden. This Nordic model, it penalizes the buyers while helping women to exit. This, um, this bill was passed and is now law, yet still we're not seeing very much action at all. We're not seeing arrests of buyers. We're not seeing adequate funding for services that women need to heal and recover. So here now we have this legal framework, but we don't have it in use from Canada. Who is normally such a leader on so many fronts? A country that's known for its women for women's empowerment and for gender equality? Yet still, we need action to match our intention. So where do we start? Well, first, we need to abolish sex trafficking. Its harms are inherent and simply cannot be licensed or legislated in a better way. Second, women trapped should be given support to help them exit. These women, they need to be safe from the repercussions of bad actors. And finally, we need more support from people like you, just like you. I have spoken to numerous federal and municipal government officials and they all say the same thing to me. I can only address what my constituents bring to my attention. Write them, call them, tell them that women being exploited and trafficked inside of massage parlors is not acceptable. In conclusion, it takes just one person, it really does. I share my story today because I'm free and that freedom I cannot take for granted. I believe everybody in our country should have that same right. I'm sharing my story today because I am hopeful. I have seen, I have witnessed the strength inside of the women we're talking about. These women are future leaders, entrepreneurs, moms. They're game changers. All they need is a chance, just like the one I had. It took one person. Her name was Kathy, her husband, Jim. They each extended a hand of love to me They both had shown me, again, what humanity was all about, and they assisted to bring back my self-worth, and that is something that you can do for someone else too.
0: So that was in Canada. You don't think that happens here in the United States? You betcha it does. And did you hear her say that it's uh, politicians that were involved in this? And she's saying that they passed a law in Canada, but yet it's still not really going where it should be. Why? Because they're all in it together. They just probably did this just to put a little Band-Aid on it, you know, to say it looked like they did something. They knew they really aren't going to do anything. These people have to be arrested and tried. This is the only way this is going to stop. This is the only way. People will have to realize that you know this is going on, and it and it needs to to stop today. It does, and you know of course they take advantage of children because they're very young and naive. They don't know exactly you know uh, any. They can trust. They think they can trust people. Um, it's just absolutely horrible. Uh, um, I I just cannot believe that um. You know, uh, this just continues to go on, and but yet I can because they are all a part of it. You think they're gonna uh, if they're a part of it, you think they're gonna stop it because they will be exposed. You see what I'm saying? So it, it's all all they're all playing on the same team, and our children are suffering. This could happen to your child. This could happen to your grandchild. No child is safe. No child is safe. That's why you can't, you know, leave your kid out in the front yard and play nowadays because you just don't know. Let's uh, let's play this one here.
9: Chairman and the co-founder of Thorn. We build software to fight human trafficking and the sexual exploitation of children that's our core mission my other day job is that of the father of two a two-month old and a two-year-old and as part of that job that I take very seriously I believe that it is my effort to defend their right to pursue happiness and to ensure a society and government that defends it as well but the right to pursue happiness for so many is stripped away it's raped it's abused it's taken by force fraud or coercion. It is sold for the momentary happiness of another. I've seen video content of a child. That's the same age as mine being raped by an American man. that was a sex tourist in Cambodia and this child was so conditioned by her environment that she thought she was engaging in play. I've been on the other end of a phone call from my team asking for my help because we had received a call from the Department of Homeland Security telling us that a seven-year-old girl was being sexually abused and that content was being spread around the dark web and she had been being abused and they'd watched her for three years and they could not find the perpetrator asking us for help we were the last line of defense an actor and his foundation were the potential last line of defense. That's my day job, and I'm sticking to it. Can we build the tools that are better than their tools to fight what's happening? Um, There are sites in the United States that do this other than Backpage, a lot of them. In fact, there are sites internationally that are doing this that are other sites. It's happening uh, all, all over the place. It's been happening for decades in print media. We are now just recognizing it for what it is, and I and I think that that's the most important part, and secondarily to that is is let's build the tools, let's finance the tools, and let's deploy the tools to fight back.
0: That was like uh, several years ago that he went to, Ashton Kirsten went to a Congress. You think anything really got done? Maybe a little bit, not like it should. Why is it that the the um, authorities can just no problem bust in a door and arrest someone uh, that's doing dealing drugs, and they're doing that, catching them left and right, but yet they can't find these child traffickers? Because their superiors, the police superiors, are part of it. So they're going to try to cover it up. They're not going to have them investigate. You think the head prosecutor is going to do it? Probably not because he may be involved in it. Or his superior may be involved in it. It's all one umbrella. That's why none of this is getting done. It is so evil. So evil. The concerns keep popping up in different towns across metro Atlanta. People approaching young women outside of malls and also grocery stores asking them to join a Bible study.
1: Concerned parents are posting about it online, worried that it could be a front for sex trafficking. Some of those posts have been shared thousands of times. 11 Alive took those concerns to police in Snellville and Atlanta after women were approached at a Kroger in Gwinnett County and at Lenox Square Mall in Buckhead. Both departments said there's no indication that the groups are involved in any criminal activity. Now 11 lives Deborah Tuff is speaking with church group members to hear their
10: side of the story. You talked to a woman who's part of this, Deb. Yes, Cheryl, I did it. That woman in that post folks just saw was in Grayson when she says she ended up on the wrong end of a viral post that included a blurry picture of her and her car tag. Now she says she initially had no idea. A parent had posted it on Facebook, blasting her for her approaching a young girl at a store. Now Salome Escobedo says last Friday she was at the Kroger in Grace and inviting people to join her Bible group. She says she's a member of World Mission Society Church of God, excuse me, and they believe in God the mother. Now Escobedo says she tried to talk to a couple of folks. They weren't interested. She came up to a third person who said the same thing. Now Escobedo says soon after that young woman's mother confronted her cussing her out and secretly taking photos that she posted on Facebook. She was concerned the accusations could actually cost her her job, but she said the church's tactics won't change and people need to know who they are.
4: We do a lot of community service as well because through the community services, also we can show to the people in this room that truly our teachings is based on love. Actually, that's God the mother's love.
10: Now, I did ask why the group seems to only approach women. She says members feel more comfortable approaching women or couples when they're alone. And if members have a man with them, she says they'll approach men too. We know a lot of you may still have concerns about being approached by strangers. The best advice, if you feel uncomfortable or like your safety is at risk, contact police or let a store manager know right away.
0: Yeah, they try to disguise it everywhere, don't they? Unreal. Unreal. Uh let's see, we got another one here, you know, that we were like I'm gonna show you. Um it goes deep also, um believe it or not, um like I was saying about Hollywood. It is 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 deep in Hollywood. Look at the Epstein thing. Um all that is Hollywood and the politicians. Morning. More
9: Hollywood heavyweights are being accused of sexual harassment. There are new developments in the scandal involving movie mogul Harvey Weinstein. New
11: allegations, though, against Kevin Spacey,
4: Louis C.K., James Toback, Jeffrey Tambor, <laughs> director Brett Ratner, is- actor James Franco, actor Dustin Hoffman. This is also the story of an open secret.
11: Open secret, something hidden yet also well known, a common and casual phrase but one also used to describe the seriousness of sexual harassment in Hollywood. It happens, everyone knows it, but we don't talk about it, like an excuse. Like what happened with Harvey Weinstein and so many others in the entertainment industry. Why is Hollywood so seemingly full of open secrets? For the answer, you first need to understand the industry's power dynamics and a concept called institutional betrayal. Jennifer Fried introduced the term in 2007. So
12: institutional betrayal is a broad concept. It includes whenever an institution that an individual depends upon or trusts mistreats that individual. It might be the workplace, it might be a school, it might be a church. Or it
11: might be Hollywood. More specifically, a Weinstein production company. Women spoke out for years. He was a punchline in pop culture.
13: I turned down intercourse with
11: Harvey Weinstein on no less than three occasions. And yet, he remained at the helm of his production companies, still making blockbuster movies. Chicago! And winning Oscar after Oscar.
12: The other guy that we really need to thank, though, is Harvey Weinstein.
11: For many people, Weinstein was the industry. I would like to thank Harvey Weinstein. And And if you were a young actress and put your trust in him, he might betray you. And if he did, you too were part of the secret. This amount of power allowed him to remain a predator for decades.
4: This was an ensemble film, and it took an ensemble team to make
13: it. What people need to know about LA is that most people come here to be in the industry. You've come here most of the time because you have a dream, and you're pursuing that dream. And that dream becomes kind
11: of everything. Rebecca Roy is a therapist who has worked with clients in the entertainment industry for 13 years. Well, I think this is a town that's run on fear. I
13: can't think of any other field where there's less possibility for return.
8: It's very difficult to make a living
0: here. It's very difficult to be seen by a casting director and then be seen by a director and then be seen by a producer and to have all of those different layers point to one individual and say, You're the one who's gonna get the job.
13: And when you want something that badly, when you've been told something is that unattainable and you've attained it, you know, the threat of losing it is huge.
8: In order to be any kind of artist, you have to be willing to be open and vulnerable. Imagine you're an actor an actress and you've got the role of a lifetime and this person can make or break your career, and they cross a line with you, and they make it seem as if it's part of the audition or it's part of the role. There are many people
7: who look at that as an opportunity.
11: This power dynamic, in which the actress is completely dependent on a director or producer or executive, creates an opportunity for something called betrayal trauma. This happens when the abusive person is someone the victim depends on or has a relationship with, making the abuse particularly
12: harmful. When things happen inside an institution that are betrayal traumas, how the institution acts can then be another layer of betrayal.
11: The behavior of Weinstein and his staff shows how much damage an institution can do. Take Mira Sorvino. She rejected Weinstein's advances in 1995, told a female employee at Miramax about the harassment and then found herself blacklisted.
1: This is a small community, basically, and if you hear that somebody's difficult...
13: Diva, difficult, pain in the ass. Or maybe he'll tell the other guys I'm not cool.
8: Then you kind of stay away from them because there are a lot of other interesting people you could hire. And if you speak up, you just never heard from again.
11: Both the Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild have witnessed a clear uptick in harassment complaints since the Weinstein story broke in October 2017.
10: It's something that every single single guild you talk to, the studios, everyone is worried about.
14: Hollywood
11: doesn't have an HR department. There isn't an office or a person to whom you can report abuse. And while the Screen Actors Guild has taken steps to confront harassment, it's a complicated process and sometimes things can get blurry on set.
8: They are not working in a bank.
13: You're on sets where people are faking sex in a scene. Sometimes the line isn't
8: clear what is or isn't abuse.
13: People get used to then constantly going over that line. So then either things don't seem like a big deal or covering it up doesn't seem like a big deal.
11: So why is the Me Too moment happening now? Is it the power of social media? Is it A-list celebrities inspiring others to share stories? Or maybe it's millennial women emerging as leaders and changing workplace cultures. Why are women finally being heard?
0: When you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab him by the pussy. <laughs> I can do anything.
13: It had been a year since the um, Trumps Access Hollywood tape had broken, and once again, all these women on Facebook and social media were feeling com- compelled to tell their stories of sexual assault and harassment. This is my friend Eloise. Tess Rafferty, a writer who worked on the pop culture show The
11: Soup for almost eight years, was one of the organizers of the Take Back the Workplace march
13: in Los Angeles. There's a certain uh, mad as hell, we're not going to take it anymore uh, thing that is the result of last year's election. Every woman I know has a story and most of them have more than one. It's like you can't throw a rock in this town and not hit someone who hasn't sexually harassed somebody or assaulted them. Weinstein wasn't the only person in Hollywood
11: who repeatedly crossed the line and got away with it. These men, and the many others like them in the industry, are the ones making our favorite movies and TV shows. It's really no surprise that the stories we have learned to love
13: reflect their behavior. There was a Cheers episode I saw, I don't know, a couple of months back. Rebecca was being sexually harassed by Fraser's old mentor.
1: You're still doing it. You have a hole in your sock. <laughs>
13: Like it. <laughs> and no one believed her. And they were mad at her for accusing him, and they told her it was in her head, and they told her it was silly. Without the laugh track, it just plays like a drama of what most women face in their everyday lives. Do
0: you realize that you are impugning the reputation of the man that literally wrote the book of fidelity and marriage?
13: When women are in control, when there's more of us in the in the writer's room, when there's more of us in charge behind the camera and at the top of the food chain.
0: I'm gonna kill him! I'm gonna kill you!
13: More of our stories get told
0: accurately. You're luscious. You're ravishing. I would give up red meat just to get a glimpse of you in a bra.
11: Portrayals of sexual harassment as something funny or cute or
8: normal. I advise the girls to avoid Kevin if they will their breasts unfolded.
11: The tendency to hide harassment or explain it away, or to not believe the person reporting it, it's always been in front of us on screens.
5: And remember, it's more important that she's drunk than she's
0: hot.
11: The entertainment we consume informs our behavior, whether we realize it or not. We laugh along. We root for romance. We just don't take it seriously or save speaking up for another time. Hey,
4: anybody uh, know who the new
8: secretary is? Cute little brunette with a great hiney.
11: It was never a secret
0: after all. She was drunk, not dead, I challenge. <laughs>
8: hey, Ray!
0: Violet. We get the message on that. I apologize for that uh, graphic... Uh, language that was going on. I didn't realize I'd had it in there. But that's the reality. That's the reality. Um, what is going on in Hollywood? Hollywood is the uh, sexual harassment, sexual abuse. There's there's trafficking there. There's trafficking there as well. And um, these people, uh, if they want to be a star, they can pretty much, Hollywood can make anyone be a star. If you think about it. Anyone. All you have to do is do what they say, sell your soul to them, and they're going to make you a superstar that everyone will be talking about, and you will never have to worry about having dinner on on the table ever again because, you know, they will make sure that all your financial needs are met, and you're going to be a millionaire. One little thing, you have to do this. You have to support that. Think about that. And again, where are the authorities on all this? Where are they? It gets even worse. Shocking. Here's a, a thing that um, I came across. You think your children are safe that that are that are trying to be adopted through the government of foster care? Not on your life.
5: You're not going to believe this. What you're about to witness and what you're about to see and hear may be disturbing. This is a story about a grandmother and her fight to adopt her grandchildren
15: and we're not doing anything. I said, y'all dropped the ball once before, let these people continue to um, handle my case. Then they went to court and lied on me, and I've got documentation for you, and you're not going to do anything? Take it to the judge. What do you mean? They made sure I couldn't talk to the judge, refused to let me into courtroom. No matter how many times I asked the judge to be a party, opposed to anything, I wasn't allowed. These people had a whole damn hearing as to where my grandchildren should be placed. Here's the motion right here. Motion to modify legal custody and placement of children pursuant the ARC match staffing. Comes now to State of Florida Department of Children and Families by its undersigned attorney to respectfully move the court to change legal custody of the above named children, grandkids' names, from foster care to the maternal grandmother. I'm not fighting the Department of Children and Families. I'm fighting the damn Child Placement and Adoption Agency that gets a $4,000 to $10,000 cutback for every child they adopt outside of a family. You ain't know that. Look it up. It's in their records what they get paid for placing children. All you got to do is look up their records. It's the state of Florida. It's public record. Anything I'm saying to you is public record. Anybody can Google it. You can look it up.
5: You
15: Yes, I have most of it, but I'm trying to find the kids' pictures. And the pictures of the foster mother raising money on GoFundMe. That's so crazy. Telling people my grandchildren ain't had no family trying to get them. And I done been to every court date for two years. And I just saw her for the first time at the last two court dates. Neither her nor the husband never came to court until 22 months later. And he never came to court. I don't even think that they're still together.
5: And if you're a grandmother or you're a grandfather or you're grandparents, this story should hit close to home. My name is Peter Anderson, and I'm bringing you this story from Jacksonville, Florida.
15: So, January 26th of twenty eighteen, my grandbaby was taken into the custody taken into custody by the Department of Children and Family Services. Um, upon doing some research about what they call dependency cases in the state of Florida, I discovered that although grandparents have no rights in the state of Florida, when a child is taken by the state, we are allowed visitation. Florida statute ordered visitation. So I did my research. I wasn't notified of anything. DCF had left my grandbaby with me. My daughter showed out in front of my house. They felt like my home wasn't a safe place. I called the police and tried to have everybody out there arrested. She wasn't even living here at the time. So for four months I reached out to Jewish Family and Community Services to get my legal visitation that I was qualified for. I was finally answered by a lady by the name of K.M. And I am in debt right now up to my ears (laughs) paying for attorneys to try to get custody of my grandchildren. So after back and forth with Katie Millett, having to pay for visitation at a center where visitation never took place, that was $70 out of my pocket, I had to file a grievance against her agency with an agency by the name of Family Support Services. Family Support Services did do an investigation. They did tell Jewish Family and Community Services that they didn't have a right to deny my custody and that they needed to get my custody together and work with my work schedule because they were trying to make me take off from work. People only have so much PTO. I was already attending court twice a month. Um, I went to every Court meeting. Everybody knew that I was interested in getting my grandchildren out of the blue sky. After being placed with three other family members and my daughter terrorizing everybody, they were finally placed in foster care even though they knew that I wanted to get my grandchildren. There is nothing legally in any paperwork, any statute that prevents me from getting my grandchildren. The proof of that is when the foster parents stepped up, and decided that they wanted to adopt my grandchildren, there is what is called an ARC committee, an Adoption Application Review Committee. It's where competing applicants want to adopt the same children. The ARC was done. I was chosen as the chosen applicant to adopt my grandchildren by a panel of three people. Daniel kids completed a home study outside of Jewish Family and Community Services that I passed. I failed Jewish Family and Community Services home study, but I passed Daniel. Jewish Family and Community Services had me to jump through hoops. I had to buy bed rails for the twin bed for my grandbaby. I had to install a drawer and cabinet locks. I attended something called CPP um, every week, every other week. I had filed enough complaints because the baby was missing the appointments because Jewish Family and Community Services wasn't providing transportation. They were supposed to get it there, they would schedule the appointments, the lady would verify with them that I'm supposed to be there, the baby wouldn't show up. Oh, we forgot to schedule transportation. More time off my job. So, KM organized visitation through the Family Nurturing Center because I needed weekend visitation because I worked Monday through Friday, the same hours that their office was open only because they was directed to by Family Support Services FSS due to the complaint that I filed Um, but that visitation never occurred. I took the orientation as instructed, I paid for it as instructed, but it never occurred.
5: Ms. Wilson fought for her grandchildren and the foster mother did a GoFundMe and used their faces so she can Take this grandmother's grandchildren away. There are so many children that need foster parents and need to be adopted, but you made this grandmother's grandchildren believe that no one wants them.
15: The case. And I say that because I have myself witnessed and plenty of other people that have been allowed in those courtrooms because they're closed to the general public, so y'all can't see what corruption is going on. There's a small circle of attorneys that handle those cases. That,
5: um, when, you, when you first went to um, to put in your uh, adoption application, JFCS, they rejected you. Why?
15: They told me that I wasn't allowed to put in an application to adopt my grandchildren. I had to file a complaint with FSS again, who told them that they were wrong. I had every right to adopt my grandchildren, but this was because They had already arranged with the foster mother to have her to adopt my grandchildren. That's crazy. I've got emails to prove anything and everything that I say. Anybody that wants this documentation, it'll be redacted down, not to reveal my grandchildren's names. But this corruption has to stop. Um, Ashley Radford um, raised money on GoFundMe to fight me to adopt my grandchildren
5: so that was the per the, the initial person that was that they had set to adopt yes that's why they didn't want you to adopt the
15: children. no and if you read ashley radford's go me page that i can provide to you at any time she's since then taken it down because i tried to reveal it to the court although the judge ignored me and would not even look at my evidence um, in that statement, she said that my grandchildren didn't have anybody that cared for them until the last minute when she was raising money. But if y'all only knew that Ashley Raffet used y'all money on GoFundMe to hire a private investigator to follow me around and take pictures. These are their emails. These are the pictures that they took. This is my cousin who visited Jewish Family and Community Services with me. This is my other daughter's baby daddy, her old man, bringing me my grandson because I get my grandkids on the weekends. You hear children in the background now. This is a child community home. This is the same cousin. These are all dated. This is the same cousin and my kids granddad dropping off decorations after we had had a luau for my grandkids birthday when you read this paperwork some of these pictures are the same people over and over again they made accusations in the denial that i had all these different visitors but these are the same people in these pictures that visited jewish family and community services to see my grandchildren there's documents you have to sign in and sign out so How are these unauthorized visitors? That's an accusation that they made in my denial to have my grandchildren placed with me. But this is what you're spending the money on. So she she
5: did a GoFundMe to
15: to raise this kind of money. Oh, that's not the only way she raised money. She works for the school board. She raised money.
0: Well, um, it's not really uh, giving me information like I thought it would um, about, uh, child trafficking through the foster, but, um, sounds like those children are being abused, uh, in another way, doesn't it? Um, but if you, I have done some research and it, it does tell you that some of these, uh, wind up getting into the foster homes where the child is abused, the child is trafficked, it, government doesn't do anything about it. So, um, that's, that's just not a, a, um, you know you can't even trust you know children in in in, in a foster home um, folks we have to do something about this we have to um continue the the fight um and and pursue this battle you know we we cannot allow people to um go on the way they've been going on you know doing to our children you know that story there with the, uh, the foster care um, didn't get into the details uh, about the child trafficking, but you still see there's a scam there where you know those children are being affected. It's always about the children being affected with something. These children are always abused some way or another. It's just unbelievable.
12: Hi, I'm Brooke and I'm a sex traffic survivor.
14: Hi, I'm Kim. I'm the co-founder and president of an anti-human trafficking ministry called Changing Destinies. And I am also the mother of a sex trafficking survivor because Brooke is my daughter.
12: When I was trafficked, I was the age of 18. Most people think because you're at an age of accountability um, that you have chosen to be a prostitute and that's just not true. When I was a little girl, I remember wanting to be a dentist. Then as I entered middle and high school years, I wanted to be a model or actress because I had gone through an awkward stage during puberty where boys I liked found me unattractive. I had low self-esteem and felt by becoming a model or actress, that I'd be worthy of their attention. At the age of 14, I met a woman um, who had asked me to babysit for her. We were unaware that she was a dancer, but when we found out, my mom um, had chose to let me continue to babysit for her because she was a Christian and we were taught not to judge um, people by the way they lived and she thought that it would be a good opportunity to maybe love her um, to Jesus. And um, I think if my mom had known what she had known now, then uh, she would have kept me very far from her. I babysat for her for three to four years. During that time, she groomed me for the sex industry. I was an impressionable teenager with low self-esteem um, and the woman featured in magazines as well as pageants. She paid me very well and her sugar daddies um, got me out of school so that we could go to places like Disney Quest for the day. I looked up to her and I wanted to be just like her. I was naive and couldn't see the bigger picture. I only seen what she wanted me to see and which was, A life of
14: glamour and luxury and I really wanted that. We were a military family living in base housing at the time and when you're in the military you have a tendency to view other military families as an extension of your own family and never in a million years would I have ever dreamt that someone I had known and had always been very good to would one day turn around and exploit and hurt my child for their own financial gain. That was really a hard pill for me to swallow.
12: When I became 18, my parents moved away and I stayed behind. The woman's husband showed up at my job and um, told me I needed to get up with his wife as we had lost contact. He made it sound like I'd have the opportunity to become a model and make a lot more than I was at the job I was at. He actually made it sound like I'd almost be stupid if I didn't get in touch. So I did immediately. I met with her and I was still under the impression there was a modeling opportunity. But they did say um, I'd go on dates in which men would pay me. Um, But they told me I'd never have to do anything I didn't want to do. So I went with would be my traffickers on a half truth. and quickly found out my true purpose there.
14: I am all too familiar with the exploitation process that almost destroyed my child's life. You see, for many years, I taught at a military school called SEER, S-E-R-E, which stands for Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape. This is a school where we train military personnel, such as pilots and special operating forces, on how to survive and resist exploitation and escape in the event they become a POW a detainee, or even a hostage. I learned how exploitation works, both by experiencing it myself as a student, and then week after week demonstrating it as an instructor on other students. We're not talking about naive children with absolutely no life experience to draw on, because these were grown men and women that I saw. These were the best of the best. These are the smartest and the most confident in our military. Yet every class I would watch them fall for the trickery and be coerced into doing things that I knew they didn't want to do. I think that most people have heard about the Stockholm Syndrome, what we would call trauma bonding, and this is where a person in fear for their life begins to identify with their captor, and it's a survival strategy. But there's also something called barbed wire psychosis, and this is where an exploiter convinces their captive that there's nowhere they can run or hide that's outside of the captor's reach, that it's a better option to just stay there and cooperate. There's also something that a captor will use to manage their victim, which is called coercive manipulation. And this is actually a program designed to condition and manipulate someone to do what you want them to do. And an exploiter will use things like sexual assault, torture, humiliating or degrading their victim, or threats to them and their family as some of the many ways exploiters will do that. So when someone is soliciting sex from another person, they would call a prostitute and actually believe in their heart they're simply entering into some sort of mutual business agreement or transaction. Nine times out of 10, it's a frightened, abused, and confused victim where every shred of their humanity and dignity has been ripped away from them at some point in their life.
12: When The first day came to a close, and all the Johns had come and went. I cried a lot. You try to shower away the things that took place, but no amount of soap and water can wash away the feeling of shame and humiliation. It was really hard for me to believe that that would be my new life. I watched other girls with envy, um, as it seemed it was easy for them, but they had to be very drugged up to do it. Pimps knew if they got these girls hooked on drugs that they would depend on the pimps, and it was just another form of bondage. I left. I had an opportunity to seize the moment to get far away, and I did. I tried very hard to forget, and while I suppressed the memories, my life spiraled out of control. I could not live a normal life or function as a normal human being. I thought of suicide often, but was blessed with my girls who kept me hopeful. I became a dancer for 11 years because I had lost the ability to dream beyond using my body for an income. I drank to feel good and I even dated a man who was just like a pimp in the worst kind. I could not escape the things that had happened to me. I lived a nightmare of cycles and I had about lost my fight.
14: So at this point I'm gonna switch from instructor and abolitionist to a mom right now as I'm sure that many of the people watching this video are parents or maybe even grandparents. I'll never forget the day that Brooke called my husband asking him to come and get her. I'll admit we were pleasantly surprised when she called because she had always been this independent, free-spirited child who always wanted to explore and experience life on her own. And I remember feeling good about her coming home because she was my first to leave the nest and I wasn't entirely comfortable about it. So I actually went to great lengths to try to make a big deal out of her coming home by getting a cake and a card and some flowers and things like that. But the minute she walked in, As her mother I can tell you that I knew something had happened to her. I had no idea what it could be because at that point in time I had absolutely no point of reference for human trafficking. I mean that wouldn't have even crossed the radar for me. But what I saw is this is a girl who had always been very meticulous about her appearance and I could see that she had let herself go. I mean she looked very thin, she was frail, she looked broken, she looked oppressed. She wouldn't smile, her eyes were empty. She wouldn't even look at the card, she didn't cut the cake we had bought for her. She sat there for a few minutes and then excused herself. And I looked over at my husband and he told me, you know, she was like that the entire trip back home. And he said he had told her to not give up on herself. So one day, one of our other daughters approached me and she swore me to secrecy, saying that Brooke told her that she had been raped. So now I felt at least I had some sort of explanation for what I was seeing. But what I didn't realize at that time is that my child had been raped over and over again so that somebody else could get paid. Because I had sworn to my daughter that I went and tell Brooke that I knew, the only thing I knew to do was just try and love her and help her the best I could to get work, to get back into church, and she did start going back to church again. And I was actually encouraged because I started to see her smile and take care of herself again like she used to. But then one day I learned she was a dancer at a local strip club. Now I can't even express to you the shock that I felt over that. It was something that I couldn't even wrap my head around at that point in my life. At first I was pretty angry about it and quite embarrassed, but eventually because she did it for 11 years I became numb to it and just accepted it that this was just the way that she was. Then in August of 2012 I had a very profound life-changing experience where I began to hear God calling me into human trafficking ministry. I didn't understand why at the time because I didn't have a burden for it. I barely even knew it existed at this point in my life and I didn't think I knew anyone whose life had been affected by human trafficking which hindsight, obviously I did. But because it was undeniable, I chose to walk in obedience to a calling that I knew for a fact was on my life. It was actually one year after I co-founded Changing Destinies that Brooke sat me down to tell me that she had been trafficked 12 years prior. She had been carrying around the guilt and shame all of those years and it was destroying her life. And you know what? Even though I didn't know she had been trafficked, I saw the destruction that it caused over those 12 years. And this event, her telling me, was just the beginning of an amazing transformation of her life that is nothing short of miraculous. That was until almost three years ago. I was at a crossroads. I could choose
12: death or I could choose life. I chose life and I got saved at a local church. The past three years has been hell why I've walked through the memories and healed from the pain. But God has kept me strong and restored my life. None of those painful moments have gone to waste. They have been used to bless me in ways I could have never imagined. I have forgiven the very people I felt stole my identity and broke me. I bless them and I love them. Every John or pimp is a child of God. Nothing they do will ever make God love them less. Nothing I did will ever make God love me less. When you realize how undeserved that love and forgiveness is, It makes it easier to forgive even the most unforgivable you don't have to try to validate yourself by buying or selling someone life can feel lonely sometimes but you don't have to be alone god is waiting with arms wide open whether you're the john the pimp or the victim please understand there is redemption and forgiveness always available
14: to you The biggest thing I've taken away from this experience is the revelation of God's pure love. I see that he found a way to bring to my attention something that had happened to my child 12 years prior, and he did it so that she could begin to heal and walk out the destiny that he had in mind for her all along. I've been watching her journey over the past two years in amazement, and I will say that she is one of the strongest women that I know, and I am very blessed and so proud to be her mom. As for how I feel about traffickers and Johns or the people who buy sex, with God's help, I've actually managed to work through a lot of those anger issues and the feelings of betrayal that I felt after I found out what had happened to Brooke. I have actually forgiven the woman who I allowed Brooke to babysit for, as well as the other traffickers and the Johns who hurt her. Only God. The reason I am able to extend mercy and grace to them is because God extended it to me through the sacrifice of his only son, Jesus, on the cross. There is redemption in our story. So the purpose of us making this video today was to dismantle all the lies and bring the truth to light. Do not be deceived. You will stand before God one day and give an account of your life to him. Jesus said, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that is what he will also reap. So please don't continue to sow into an industry that destroys people's lives. We're asking you to sow into organizations, ministries, and nonprofits that are actually trying to help those who are caught up in human trafficking. There are many local, regional, national, and international organizations and nonprofits out there to choose from. Feel free to research and give as you feel led. And we will provide for you a list of different organizations to help you along that path. My prayer is that everyone watching this video will experience salvation through true repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. May you choose life, love, compassion and decency and service to the Lord for yourself and the brave young men and women who are survivors of human trafficking. God bless you
12: you
6: played my cause
0: Sorry about that. Um, that was that was a praise uh, right there with that good young girl. Um, she turned her life around and. Um, She's helping others. Her mother's in the ministry of helping others as well. God uses bad for good, doesn't he? He sure does. Praise God for that. Um, but this is real, guys. And I, I, I mean, I, I could go on here all day for this. Let me show you one more um, thing here, uh, if I can find it here. there, There is, there is a little hope of... Uh,
14: Human sex trafficking is the fastest-growing business in organized crime. And police departments across the country haven't been able to keep up. Many sex trafficking victims start out as runaways, but the police don't prioritize their cases, because most runaways eventually come home. And when they don't, there isn't much that officers can do, unless the child had been seen being kidnapped. With the police on the sidelines, very few people are left to take up the search. But in San Diego, which has one of the highest sex-trafficking rates in the country, a group of rogue volunteers is hunting for the missing on their own. —
3: You're only about 20, 30 minutes away. Just look for my Hummer when you get in the Starbucks parking
4: lot. — Joseph Travers runs Saved in America, a nonprofit network of 28 former Navy SEALs and police officers who now volunteer their time rescuing missing children at risk of sex trafficking. Many of them have asked that we protect their identities. They do this in addition to their day jobs. —
3: Rick is undercover out in front of the house. So as soon as you guys are set up, if you see the girls run, go ahead and snatch her up. We got a power of attorney. And then we're going to call the PD, though, and they have the police report. It's gang-infested, and they got lookouts everywhere.
4: Today they're helping the local police retrieve a 14-year-old girl named Lily.
9: Can you see the girl outside?
4: When Lily went missing, she was initially classified as a runaway. It's been almost a month without any active police investigation into her absence. When someone comes to Saved America, what stage are they at?
3: Uh, Mostly the the parents are in a, a panic stage and they're waiting for something to happen. So now the family is at a standstill. They have to go find their child on their own, and most people don't know how to do that. So we fill that gap.
4: Joseph's team uses social media, research, and undercover techniques to find children's whereabouts.
0: So we're talking to the informant, and she's with him. Why don't we call the cops?
4: As soon as they have a location, they work with the parents and police to have the child picked up. Can you come talk to the sergeant? Lily's mother, Ruth, has come along for the search.
3: Yeah. Hi, Sergeant. How you doing? Good. Joseph Travers. How are you? I'm Mike. Good this
4: is mom,
3: Ruth. Her daughter's inside there. Okay. The 14-year-old. Yeah. So our guy's got a positive ID on her in the front yard, and then she went back in the house. We are not going to be able to force entry on a runaway juvenile. I'm just telling you that right now. Even one front. who's trafficked? Unfortunately, there's... — There's allegations of trafficking, but has there been crime cases taken? Has she come forward as a victim? — if well, no, hasn't she, happened yet. Yeah, And even has. if there was, mm-hmm. that still isn't to a position where we're going to be allowed to kick a door down and go look for something mm-hmm. that's not — of course, that's not within the law. We cannot do that.
4: — The police say they don't have enough probable cause to enter the home by force. Once they surround the house, a Saved in America volunteer spots Lily in the backyard and was able to reunite her with her mom. Lily asks that we conceal her identity.
3: You guys, good job, man. Do
4: it. On. Do it. on January 30th, Ruth woke up to find Lily was missing. But the local police in her hometown in Utah concluded that Lily had run away and that there was nothing they could do since Lily had left on her own.
12: My mom, so, if she never runs across a cop, then you're telling me she's never going to be found? He goes, Well,
4: Basically that's kind of how it is. How long did it take Sage in America to find Lily? 2 days. 2 months after Lily was retrieved, Ruth headed to the office of Utah Congressman Chris Stewart, hoping that he could pressure law enforcement to treat runaway cases more seriously. The congressman wasn't sure where to start.
12: I basically was on my own. I said, "Why is my daughter not important? Why isn't anybody listening to me?" I'm not going to wait around until somebody comes and offers me help. I'm going to go out there and try to find
9: somebody that could help me. Yeah, and if there's something we could do to stop this from happening to someone else, we want to do that because not everyone's going to have a mom like you. I can tell you're discouraged. I'm sorry.
12: I am because I really want to. Things to change. I don't want nobody else
0: to. But 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 I mean, don't forget, you got her. You got her back.
12: I don't just want to be uh, greedy and say, you know what? I got my daughter, and that's all I matter.
4: No, I want to try to help. Why is it that when someone reports a runaway, it can be a long time before people act on their case?
3: Unless it's an urgent situation, the police, unfortunately, because that's and I come out of that field. There's just they don't have the resources. So if you have a missing child, a runaway, when law enforcement looks at it, it looks just like, well, she just left because she wanted to be with her boyfriend or or whatever. So it doesn't appear to be a high-priority situation.
4: Summer Stephen is San Diego County's chief deputy district attorney and chief of the Sex Crimes and Human Trafficking Division.
2: The studies tell us that we have about
4: 5,000 victims of sex trafficking in San Diego County annually. We don't encounter that many. We prosecute, between us and the federal government, about 100 cases a year. But there are so many more victims. Summer could not say how much funding the Sex Trafficking Task Force receives. The San Diego Police Department declined to participate in the story. Do you see a private group like Saved in America as being part of the larger community of resources that can be pulled for something like this? Do they help or ever harm an investigation that your team is already a part of? They can be very helpful because victims sometimes don't trust police. You know, a private investigator doesn't have the police powers. And so long as they abide by their ethical duties of staying in their lane and cooperating and providing information to police, then we welcome them.
3: there therefore the parent as a resource? I think the greatest thing that could happen if uh, saved in America didn't
5: have to exist
0: Thank goodness, thank the Lord that they have uh, programs like that did you did you catch these the authorities really couldn't do anything? I mean, there are certain laws that they have to follow, and um but they just it's really sad that they 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 don't take it as serious as they should. Because there's there's just so many children that are not making that choice. They've been kidnapped. Or they've been lied to by their, their person that they decide to live with, and they wind up being abused. I mean, these children are very vulnerable, and they're taken advantage of by these thugs. Well, thank you guys very much for joining us today. I hope this message to everyone will open up everybody's eyes and share this video. Please share it because if it's shared, it will be exposed and people will pay attention to it. And, you know, we just all have to stick together. The only way we're going to win is, 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 is if, if we have this fight that we have to fight and we, we, we have to have victory. We have to do this together. And um, the only way we're going to do it, if we pay attention and wake up, you know, this has been going on forever. I think it's going on long enough, and I bet you do, too. So um, just just try to. um, Ask God where he wants you to be in this, how to go about fighting this, because children are innocent. They need they can't fight this on their own. They're innocent. Well, you all have a great uh, day, and uh, God bless you. And and, and I thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and uh, just just please share this video, and uh, make sure that uh, everyone is aware of this. And uh, we'll see you next time. God bless you all.